Welcome to Chapel. This morning after chapel, you can meet with uh, representatives from service organizations and edu educational institutions that are here to talk with you in the union. Um, if you're here as one of those representatives, will you please stand? Those look like interesting people to talk to, don't they? Thank you. This morning's music is being provided by Jeremy, Neil, and Kyle. And Jeremy and Neil work with the Mennonite Mission Network, and you can talk with them um, afterwards in the union as well. This is Isaac Cooley, a senior social work major from Idaho, and he did voluntary service in Jamaica. Ask him later if he inhaled at the Rastafarian worship service. This is Emily Yoder. She's from Archbold, Ohio, and he's a senior as well. And she served in Hutchinson, Kansas. Ask her later about the Golden Cracker Award. And this is Jenna Preheim. She's a third year PJCS major from Monument, Colorado. Ask her later about the time she got the voluntary service car impounded and was left on the street corner late at night. Today we are asked to share some reflections of our experiences um, in service. So um, here it goes. For my service, like Isaac said, I worked um, in Hutchinson, Kansas with MVS. There, I worked at a low-income housing organization, Interfaith Housing Services, as a receptionist. While I was at IHS, they reminded me time and time again that if I did not find my spouse while working at IHS, I would be the first in a long tradition of BSers who had found their significant others while working there. While I may have failed at this task, I did make many good relationships and learned to know a lot of people from um, the people I encountered every day. Through my work and living situation, I got to meet and learn to know many people, such as clients, coworkers, volunteers at IHS, members of our VS support board, various members of three supporting churches, etc. These relationships were an important part of my VS experience, so I would like to attempt to share some of these relationships with you. First of all, I lived with two other volunteers in a small three-room apartment, and when you live in a small apartment, you learn to know pretty, people pretty well. During that year that I lived with Causeway, I learned a lot about my religious beliefs as I watched her struggle with hers. Causeway comes from a house that has both Buddhist and Shinto, Shinto shrines. Only her father and grandfather are actually practicing in her family, though. So upon being put into a Mennonite world when she went to Heston College two years earlier, and then through VS, attending various Mennonite churches and taking part in a Mennonite organization, Causeway started searching for her own religion. I will never forget when she compared the level of excitement in reading the Bible to reading Harry Potter. When is the last time that I read the Bible with that kind of excitement? Throughout the year, we discussed my Mennonite faith and her faith experience coming from a mainly Buddhist background. And by the end of the year, she had come to the conclusion that she believed in a higher spirit and that she believed that there are spirits around us watching over us. While she may not believe in the same way that I do, I like to think that we believe in the same God. And that year, she really pushed me to consider my own faith. One thing that I found during service that perhaps is not the case for everyone was that I had an eight to five job and I had evenings free, meaning I had an opportunity to take part in some activities that just don't happen while I'm in school. One of these activities that I did was Big Brothers Big Sisters. I had a 14-year-old sister and it was an amazing experience. I went in thinking that I'd be paired with a younger kid, but when they suggested Jessica as one of my options, 
I thought it might be interesting and challenging to spend time with a teenage girl. Any nervousness I had about spending the evening with a teenager subsided when I met Jess. If I wouldn't have said a word, there still would have been conversation. I heard a lot about the drama of middle school, her latest crushes, the Japanimation Inuasha, and her family, who consisted of her mom, her stepfather, a stepsister, and a younger half-brother and sister. One thing that I took from my relationship with Jess is her passion for life. She wants nothing more than to go to college so that she can be a writer. She can't wait to be a part of Big Brothers Big Sisters and make a difference for a little sister. And she's willing to talk with anyone who will listen. The third person that I want to talk about went from being an employee of IHS on work release to being one of our mentors. When I first met Mike, all I knew about him was that he was working for us through work release in the local prison. I was unsure what to expect. What would he think of a little Mennonite girl from Ohio, and what would we talk about? In the end, my worries were unfounded. Through our interactions, I learned a bit more about his story, and I learned that he had a brother and a mother in a nearby city, and somewhere he had a daughter whose name was tattooed on his arm. Family was very important to him. Also, he often brought a humor and lightness into the office, even when the guys were coming in from a long, hard day of construction work in the sun, and he always had a couple of cream savers in his pocket for us in the office. After his time was served, he became one of our renters, so he would come back and visit us often. From Mike, I learned that friendship knows no boundaries, even when it seems as though you may not have anything in common with another person. I'm pretty sure that I took way more than I gave during my time of service. Causeway, Jess, and Mike are all people who will always be a part of who I am, and they provided relationships that I may never have encountered in the way I was able to during my year of service. months before I started my service term, I had a dream. And I was at Heston College still, and we were sort of getting ready to graduate. And my dream was that after graduation, in order to leave Heston, everybody had to ride out of Heston on this train. So we were all ready to leave, and me and all my friends got on this one train. And we were kind of getting settled, and I realized that I had left my bags on the platform. So I got off the car of the train to go get my bags, and I collected them. But by the time I had turned around, the train was already moving, and my friends were in this car going away without me. So I got in the next car, and I was all by myself, and I sat next to an old woman. And again, I was settling in when I realized that I had forgotten my favorite blue blanket at Heston. And I was so sad. It was really disappointing. Um, and I, I know that not everybody puts a large importance on dreams, but. I do, so when I was reflecting upon this dream, um, it's fairly obvious, yes, my friends are all going off to school, and here I am alone, I'm going to do service in California by myself, and this blue blanket was sort of my comfort, I was leaving my comfort, and the old woman that I sat next to, I like to think of her as old woman wisdom, so, and the dream was just really indicative of what was going to happen to me in my year of VS, I learned a lot. I went to Fresno, California, and I worked at the Victim Offender Reconciliation Program, which is a nonprofit organization for mediation. And they get the, the victims and offenders of crime together to um, decide how to make things as right as possible between each other. So I was a case manager, which meant that I was working in the office a lot. But I also got to see a lot of mediations and co-mediate 
and I also got to do some mediations by myself. And um, one of the mediations that I did was really a really important experience, um, and this is how it happened. One day I was in the office and I got a call from the victims of this crime. It was a young couple and they had a masonry business, and their secretary had embezzled $10,000, upwards of $10,000, from the business. So they could have taken her to court easily and sued her, but they wanted to work it out a different way. So we called up this woman who had embezzled all of this money, and it turns out she had just had a baby. She was a young woman. Um, and so we asked if we could meet with her. And I co-mediated this with um, a guy who worked at VORP also. So we met with this young woman, and the second that we sat down to start talking to her, she started crying. And she, when she came in, she was wearing sort of dumpy clothes, and she had her head down like this. And she cried throughout the whole meeting, and she said that she was really relieved that somebody had called her because it had been probably a month since she had gotten fired from this job at the masonry place, and she didn't know what was going to happen to her. She didn't know if she'd be taken to court. So she had been really worried, and she was glad that she was finally going to be able to deal with this. So she agreed that she would like to meet with the victims. So we brought them together, and again, throughout the whole, the whole mediation, when the victim was together with the offender, um, she was a wreck. Like, she had snot coming out of her nose. We had to give her lots of Kleenexes. She felt awful about what she had done, and she um, wanted to make things right. And so we formulated an agreement, and she um, was going to make payments to this couple that she had stolen money from, and she was going to um, go to counseling. And so um, a few months passed after this mediation, and she was doing well, and she was going to counseling, and um, she was making payments. And so we had a follow-up meeting with her. And um, I remember very clearly, we, the co-mediator and I, stepped out of the car. And she was walking across the parking lot towards us. And she had nice clothes on. And she had her head up. And the wind was in her hair. And she was smiling. And she was a different person. There's so much transformation. And you could see it the second, I mean, the second that we saw her, we knew that she was doing a lot better. So she was making things right. And we saw this happen again and again and again with young people and old people and even malicious offenders. There was a lot of transformation that we saw. But there was also a lot of cases that didn't work out that well. And so throughout my year, I also I developed some cynicism, which was unexpected because going into VS and going into this experience with VORP, I thought that all reconciliation was just the best, and everything works out. And when we love each other, everything will go right. But after seeing these different cases, some worked out really well, but some didn't. And that was hard to see. And another um, reason I think that I developed some cynicism was that I saw a lot of injustice in the justice system. And so while VORP is really active in trying to make changes within the justice system, it's so defeating because it's really hard to change large systems, and it's, it's hard to be hopeful about that. So I'm not sure exactly what to do with this newfound cynicism, and especially since I'm PJCS, I'm going to uh, need to figure out what to do with this all. Um, the other thing that I'd like to talk about with my experience in VS was a time of loneliness. When I first got there, I 
I had fun hanging out by myself and I was exploring the city and it was really cool. But then I remember specifically one day on the way home from work, I decided that I was really lonely and I needed to make some friends. So I went through a period of loneliness after which I started making friends and then it turned out really well. Um, and my transition back to school and back to Goshen has also been sort of a lonely experience, which was also unexpected because I know a lot of people here, but I felt like I had changed during my year off. So I went from being independent in this big diverse city, doing my own thing, to coming back to a small community where people know me or they think that they know me. Um, but I feel like I've changed a lot. So there's been a whole lot of positives and a whole lot of negatives and it's trying to put these together and synthesize these things. That's um, been a lot of growth for me. And it's really helpful to be able to share stories about voluntary service because they have a lot of meaning and sometimes we forget to share. So thank you for listening to stories. Good morning. I lived and worked for a year in Jamaica through Mennonite Central Committee's Serving and Learning Together program, and it's an honor to share my stories and images of that time. And for the privacy of those whose stories I will tell, I have omitted or changed the names. Did that work? Good. I find it difficult to separate my reflections on service from my reflections on my collision with Jamaica. Jamaica is a beautiful place of crystal clear water, friendly sandy beaches, and stunning natural beauty. And likewise, Jamaicans are striking. Dark, dark skin, a love for music and sweet body movement and performance. Frank and direct and opinionated, communicating loudly to each other in patois, which is an emotional and expressive language designed for arguments and storytelling and lacking any capacity for understanding sarcasm. And me, indirect and quiet and sarcastic. <laughs> and white, until I burned red. <laughs> this was not just service. It was service in a place where I was from foreign, a foreigner. I was gifted with the opportunity and hefty challenge of working at a rehabilitation center for people suffering from mental illness. Although cultural views may be shifting, for many generations, people suffering from mental illness have been shunned and abused in Jamaica, perhaps linguistically evident in the euphemism used to describe such a condition, madness. A few concerned citizens with tireless energy and outrage at the treatment of this vulnerable population founded this unique sanctuary nearly 15 years ago. Ironically, few of them have direct ties to local churches despite a society teeming with Christian congregations of every conceivable denomination. Mennonite Central Committee partners with this organization by providing partial funding and volunteers when possible. So what was my job? The hardest part of my assignment was figuring that out. Activity coordinator. That sounded straightforward enough. It was not. The daily routine swirled around me. Morning devotions, laundry, craft time, gardening. And I, being neither a natural salesperson nor a cheerleader, found myself immensely unsatisfied with my work. 
No one wanted to participate in my activities. And sometimes the nice schedule I had prepared so carefully collided with other factors and disintegrated into tiny pieces. The industrious and perfectionistic doer in me resented my inability to make a difference. Relax, Isaac, my supervisor told me. But if I relaxed, I wasn't doing enough, was I? There seemed to be no need for an activity director here. And I was there to serve, and my serving wasn't working out. Let me tell you a story. Mrs. Gordon was a regular visitor at the rehab center. She came with a special meal provided for the clients by the Faith Temple Church on the first Wednesday of every month. She came loudly up the stairs onto the veranda, speaking in all capital letters. How is everybody? Nurse Gordon, you're looking so good. What's new, Mr. Brown? Etc., etc., etc. Full of stylish clothes and accessories, hallelujahs, and talk of romance is Mrs. Gordon. She was forever trying to pair up the clients. Everybody liked Mrs. Gordon and looked forward to her visits and the short devotional she led before the meal was served, even if it was only because, when she was finished, attention could be given to the pans of fried chicken waiting in the kitchen. On one particular visit, she was asking the clients about Easter. What's it about, she wanted to know. The clients, mouths watering, tried to concentrate and ventured forth with a safe answer. Christ died. They know all of the succinct and multi-purpose answers. Mrs. Gordon nodded happily and opened her mouth to continue. But anyone who has spent any time with our clients knew that reality and delusion blur, and asking the easiest question could yield the most surprising and unexpected response. Find it philosophically disruptive or immensely humorous, or both. Today was no different. Nisha suggested a different explanation for Easter. Because the evil snake turned into a fruit. There was a group pause. Mrs. Gordon made the connection. Ah, Adam and Eve, the first sin. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. She was back on track and willing to deviate from the original script when pressed. So what did God tell Adam and Eve not to do? Not to take off their clothes, Nisha announced. There was a longer group pause. <laughs> a sputtering sound seemed to be coming from the volunteer in the back corner. Well, Mrs. Gordon tried to build some segue on the fly. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Sister, you've got it wrong. No, insisted Nisha, because one time I didn't have any clothes on. When I was sick, I was swimming in the river. I didn't have any clothes on, but I was supposed to. Two policemen rescued me and pumped the water out of my lungs and gave me clothes. Oh, Lord, it was when I was sick. Let's sing a chorus, suggested Mrs. Gordon. In a humorous and exaggerated way, Nisha reminded me that each of us reads the Bible, interprets the infrastructure of faith, and sees God through the lenses of our unique life stories. In a place where reality blurred so easily with delusion, and memory with fantasy. The expression of personal faith perplexed me daily. From the young man who is deaf and mute from birth and does not have a means to communicate with us, how does he interpret the activity of group prayer? To the old women who have suffered 
a lifetime of loss and abuse, but remain gentle and giving to those who seem silent and opaque, their minds dulled by medication and exploitive years of substance abuse, to the passionate preaching of those exhibiting manic behavior, to the mind-spinning arguments of one particular man who makes conversation nearly a contact sport. Sometimes the theology verbalized by the clients was unbelievable. But I sensed, after long exposure and awkward and hesitant steps, that to communicate with these people about God was to touch an arm during a shared laugh, remembering to ask how the new job was going, or to sit in silence together in the shade of the orange tree. To paint and play and sing together. To lose countless domino games and respond indignantly in my amateur patois. To serve in this setting was to reject the cultural phobia of madness. This was my job. This was my service. Can you see the unique character in their faces? Not very well. <laughs> These are not madmen and women. These are my friends. Thank you.